The future of business is responsible. El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. Conscious commingling of growth and impact. Le futur du business est conscient et responsable. The future of business is intentional and transparent. Alright, hello everyone. Welcome to the Future of Business podcast, Side Business School student-run podcast. Uh, we've been running for four seasons and we're here to bring you the next season uh, of this wonderful um, student-run initiative. Each season, we've been talking to business leaders, uh, alums, students to get their perspective on the trends driving business. And this season, we endeavor to do the same and bring you some new interesting conversations. So look forward to that. And with that, I want to introduce our first guest for the season, uh, my wonderful classmate, Kristen Brandt. I'm going to let her talk about herself because I think she can articulate it much better than I can. And with that, I'll pass it over to her and we can jump into the conversation after that. Thanks, Sushil. And hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. I am the co-founder of an organization called She's the First, which fights for a world where girls everywhere are educated, respected, and heard. I'm also the author of a book called Impact, a step-by-step -step plan to create the world you want to live in, which is aimed at individuals to help them figure out how to work impact into their everyday life. And then I'm also an impact strategist for a number of brands as well as NGOs. Awesome. Um, so we'll obviously delve into each of those things a little bit deeper over the course of the podcast. The idea is simply to get some perspective on particular business issue based on your previous experiences and also what your thoughts are about that broadly. But to kick things off, there's a question that we want to ask all our guests this season. And I love to hear more about a preconceived notion you had about the business world or the space that you're in that's changed ever since you joined the MBA program. And it's only been about six weeks, <laughs> but would still love to hear anything that's changed uh, in how you view the business world or the problems you're working on? Yeah, so, I mean, first and foremost, the weather in Oxford just hasn't been as bad it's as not. I said it would be. Um, <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't change by the time this podcast episode comes out, but yeah. Right, that might be some November, yeah. some November optimism. Um, I think, to be really, really honest, I, coming into the MBA, was a little bit worried about connecting with classmates from mm. financial backgrounds. Mm. Um, it's a group of people I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time with, given my background. And actually, just like everyone else in the world, I think mm. almost all of them are really looking to figure out how they can contribute to a better world and a better future. And I found that incredibly inspiring and a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I think uh, our finance classmates are really awesome. Some of the most <laughs> thoughtful people I've met. So, yeah, thankfully, that's been great for us so far. All right. So let's jump into the topic at hand. Um, Christian, just to start things off, could you maybe give us and the listeners uh, some context on the history of impact and how it's fit into traditional business or how it was viewed by traditional business and how that's changed over time? Mm, yeah, great question. So I think if we go back far enough, if we go back kind of pre 
modern stage of capitalism especially, what you'd find is that <coughs> most businesses are hyper-local, right. right? And so that meant by their very nature, they were integrated into the community, they mm. were part of the community, and they had an accountability to that community. Right. But then as globalization took off, I think we really saw a separation between business mm. and community, charity, nonprofit work. And this is happening alongside the professionalization mm. of nonprofit work. Right. So through the years, you started to get these two separate streams. And for a long time, I think business was seen as something separate to community work. It was seen as something mm. separate to society in a lot right. of ways. The goal right. was to make money, push the economy forward, create new and innovative products. And I think what we've seen more recently as we've come to really wrestle with the effects of globalization mm. is that people no longer look at companies and see them as separate to the community. Right. People really do look at at companies and hold them accountable, or at least attempt to hold them accountable hmm. um, for their actions. And so what we've seen is this rise of corporate philanthropy, hmm. um, pushing into the CSR movement, which is much more focused on employee engagement, right. into DEI movements, which of hmm. course happens primarily within the HR space. Right. And now we're really in this moment of ESG. Hmm. And that's not to say that these other elements of philanthropy, CSR, DEI, they're all still there. Right. Um, and so I think companies now are in this moment of many of them talk about this triple bottom line hmm. of people, profits, planet. Right. And I think the question really is, how do we do that? Hmm. What does that actually look like? And right. that, I think, is where, where companies really sit now is trying to figure out that answer. And we see this too because, you know, McKinsey recently actually just put out a report that found that 90% of the S&P 500 companies now publish ESG reports in one form or another. Hmm. So we see this trend happening. We see companies thinking about it. And it is something I've seen in my own work too. You know, for example, back in 2016 at She's the First, we'd see a decent amount of companies coming to She's the First to engage in philanthropy as a mm -hmm. way of kind of obscuring what they were what they were doing or maybe even to to be more generous about it just to really help their brand it right. was part of their marketing budget it was part of their mm. marketing initiative uh, my favorite example of this is that in 2016 we actually had Ivanka Trump uh, mm -hmm. come to us and want right. to make a big donation mm. and of course this, this was during the Trump, the Trump election right. season. Yeah. Um, so that was a donation that we turned down. Mm. But even with companies that really wanted to do good, mm. it was coming out of the marketing department right. of the of the company itself. Mm. What we've seen over time, though, is that now we have many more companies who want to engage in much more holistic ways right. and want to engage because what She's the First does in working with girls around the world right. really aligns with their brand. Mm. So today, for example, one of our biggest donors is Bobby Brown, which is mm. part of Estee Lauder. Right. Um, they are supporting She's the First with a very large donation every year, mm. but they also work alongside the team to understand how they can create the most impact in right. their work with She's the First and in their work empowering girls and women. And I think it's just 
it just goes to show that there really is a shift happening hmm. with companies thinking about how impact fits into their overall corporate structure. Right. Got it. That's great. And also, there are a lot of our classmates who are obviously thinking about these themes too. They're concerned about how impact fits into their careers, into their business journeys. So any suggestions you have for classmates or even companies in general that are looking to enter the space and maybe do good work here? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's probably my favorite question in mm -hmm. the world is, how do I do this? Where yeah. do I start? Mm -hmm. And so in the book, my, my co-author and I talk about this concept of ikigai. And ikigai was originally a Japanese concept that was then uh, really kind of co-opted by a bunch of business consultants, sorry right. to say, um, <laughs> That's fine. And, and westernized. Hmm. But we think the concept of it is still really helpful when you feel overwhelmed about hmm. where do I fit in? There are right. so many options. There are so many ways to have an impact. Where do I go? Hmm. So the concept of Ikigai has these four overlapping circles. The first one is things that you're good at. Hmm things that you have skills in. The second one is things that you love. The third is things the world needs. Hmm. And the last is what you can get paid for. Right. Now, for us in thinking about impact, we tend to leave that fourth one off and focus on these other three hmm. and say, okay, can you create lists of these these skills that you have, resources that you have to give? Right. That might be your time, your money, um, it might be, you know, you're a podcaster. Who can you bring on the show to right. really um, push out good ideas or interesting, innovative ideas and impact things like that? It doesn't. It doesn't just have to be um, what you do in your nine to five necessarily. Right. Anything you bring to the table, then what you love are the things you really care about. Mm. Um, a lot of times with impact, people feel like they have to follow the cause du jour. Hmm. Right now, climate is so big because it's it is such an important area. Right. But if you really believe in fighting for racial justice, if hmm. you really believe in um, working on circular economy issues, if you you just have something that's really close to your heart, right? Especially if it's something that you have experience in yourself, or you've experienced yourself, that's what I want you to focus on, hmm. um, because that's going to be the area that you can work on without right. getting burnt out. Whereas, you know, if if I tomorrow decide to become a sustainability expert, hmm. I'm, one, just not going to be as good at it as, as many of our classmates are. Right. But number two, I'm not going to last as long because hmm. it's not as personal to me. So I'm going to support that in other ways. But my impact area is women and girls. Hmm. And then finally, what the world needs. And the way that you figure out what the world needs is by talking to the communities that are right. impacted by the issue that matters most to you. So that's kind of the basis of the framework that I recommend for individuals. Hmm. And then when you look at companies, it's a, a slightly different version of this, but it's a similar concept. So what I recommend there is you, you look at, instead of what you're good at, what that company can offer. Hmm. Um, 
instead of what you love, because companies are not people, um, right. you look at what aligns to your brand, hmm. right? What makes sense with your brand? Right. If you are Patagonia, you are probably not actually going to donate to an animal welfare cause, hmm. right? And you'll right. notice that all of their impact is focused on the environment because hmm. they're an outdoors company. It, it makes sense. It aligns with the brand. Um, what the world needs stays the same. Hmm. You cannot assume that you know what the world needs and that you know how to fix it. Right. You have to have those conversations. You have to work with experts to figure that out. And then lastly, instead of this concept of, of what you can get paid for that we see in Ikigai, it's the idea of actually what your stakeholders want. Hmm. And in companies, it's really important that your customers, your employees, this is something that they buy into, right. that they see the value in, hmm. they see how it aligns. And if you can kind of take these categories and and work them around an impact strategy mm. i think that helps to to really just clear the noise of all of the various options that you have and focus in on one thing that that really makes sense for your company because ultimately you know the stronger the alignment you have in all of these areas the more internal expertise you're going to have the more buy-in you're going to have and that's going to ultimately lead to more impact got it Perfect. That's that's really good advice, and I think that informs a little bit about how I think about this issue too. All right, so let's maybe talk a little bit about your experience in uh, She's the First and what you learned during your time there. Obviously, gender um, gender issues is something you've committed a lot of time to, a lot of your energy, a lot of your professional career to. And so I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on uh, the problems as they're viewed historically today, and then also how COVID affected the gender imbalance inside and outside the workforce. Mm, yeah, I, yes. Um, do we have another four episodes? <laughs> so let me let me actually start with COVID mm. and, and work our way kind of back from there because I actually just saw a report from UN Women around the impact of COVID on, on women. Right. And one of the things that it found was, I think, as many of us suspected, more women than men did leave the workforce mm. as a result of additional care work at home. They've also, though, what they're finding now is that they've stayed out of the market longer. Mm. So we've actually lost women in the workforce as a direct result of the pandemic and the additional care that they took on. Um, it just it hasn't sprung back. Mm -hmm. They're also continuing now to shoulder more of the care work at home hmm. as a result of habits that were set during the pandemic. And what you and women found was that they're actually doing at least three times as many hours in care work as men are. What they ended up calculating is that that led to women doing an additional 512 billion hours of unpaid care work at wow. home thus far since 2020, hmm. um, which is just an insane number uh, right. like uh, one of these numbers you just I can't wrap my head around mm. what 512 billion hours of unpaid care work looks like mm. um, but this is part of a long long held pattern so in girl world and she's the first world one of the stats I talk about a lot is a global stat that says that girls spend 40% more time mm -hmm. on chores and home responsibilities right. than boys do and one of the things I find really compelling about that stat 
in addition to the fact that it's global, it's mm. it's true where all of us live. Right. Is that if you break it down, what the stat actually actually is pulling on is data that says girls between the ages of six and ten spend about 30% more of their time on chores and household responsibilities. Hmm. But around age 10, that moves to 50% of their time. Wow. And so wow. as girls get older, hmm. their burden of care for the home, you know, in, in chores, in responsibilities, hmm. going to the market, getting water, um, sweeping, whatever those chores might be in, right. your, in your own area, girls continue to get more and more of them as they get older. As girls approach becoming women, hmm they start to be saddled with this kind of extra extra burden of responsibility, extra burden right. of care for keeping the household running. Mm. Um, and we actually, we see a similar thing happening um, when it comes to girls' access mm. to programming and girls' access to community resources. Right. Because they're spending so much more time at home, they have so many more responsibilities at home, they're less able to engage in community initiatives. And so you start to see, even as they get older, even as their their independence grows, right. their actual ability to participate shrinks. Um, and so you start to kind of set in motion this pattern of men being at the center of public life. Right. Of course, this is something that we know is getting better around mm. the world. For example, when I started this work 10 years ago, we still had a huge gender gap in primary school attendance levels for girls right. and boys, or mm. enrollment levels, rather. Mm. We have reached parity in primary school right. almost all around the world. Mm. But now what we see is that in secondary school, mm. girls are not graduating anywhere near the rates that, that right. boys are. Um, in some areas, they're at almost only a third of the rates that boys are graduating at. So mm. we are making progress, but we've got a while to go and i think we see those impacts you know not just at the at the youth level but mm. we we do see how the way society treats gender spills over into the workforce right. and that's not even you know starting to touch on people who fall outside of the gender binary and mm. these constructs right? right so we have a lot of work to do yeah yeah um well you mentioned earlier about how the problems are out there and you know when businesses are trying to figure out where they should commit time resources expertise um, looking for that fit is probably um, more important than you know just throwing money at the problem so i'd love to also hear your thoughts on how businesses can incorporate um, gender into their decision making processes both from a business and a non-business sense yeah absolutely <laughs> So I, I think about this as a design problem. Right. And in the NGO, you'll notice all of my, all of my examples start in the, in the NGO world and then yeah. we pull them up to the business world. But mm. in the NGO world, the way that we think about this is if you don't design for girls, you're almost automatically going to leave them out mm. of your programs. Right. For example, I mentioned earlier how you know girls' access to programs actually shrinks as as they get older. Mm. One of the reasons for that is if you have a youth center right. that is built without consulting girls and without designing specifically for girls, mm. what ends up happening is that it gets often placed in 
say, the center of a community next to a soccer field, somewhere mm. that feels like it makes sense for youth to congregate. Right. There have been a number of, of community programs around the world who have then asked girls to map out their their own community. What is accessible mm. to them? Right. And when you ask girls to map out, hey, like, <laughs> what does your community look like? Where do you go? Mm. What you'll notice is that there are whole areas of the community that they don't go to, and it might be because there's a whole area that is connected by a bridge, Mm. and there are boda boda or um, like motorcycle taxis waiting there, Mm. and so it feels very unsafe to a young girl to walk Mm. through that area. And so it cuts off an entire area of the city. Mm. The other reason that having girls really kind of show you what what lies within their version of their community is because as girls hit puberty and get older, you often assume that that means they're going to be more independent and they can go farther away from home. Mm. And that is the case almost universally for boys. But what we see for girls is that parents often get nervous about Mm. girls, especially after they've hit puberty, Mm. going too far into the community because they worry about their safety. Mm. They worry about sexual assault. They worry about sexual harassment. Mm. And so actually they start limiting how far into the community girls are able to go. Mm. And so their actual physical space shrinks over time. Right. Now, the only way you know that, and the only way you know that about girls in your own community Mm. is by talking to them, is by asking them, Mm. right? But so you can see how it's really easy to make a series of assumptions about what works for youth and then completely leave girls out in the process. And so what what you find is that there are often programs that are designated for youth that have a ton of money going to youth, mm. and they are primarily benefiting young men and boys. Right. Um, and there are studies that, that show that, that we can, we can dive into at another <laughs> time. Yeah. But I, I think one of the lessons that we take from this for business and that um, we need to consider for businesses is that when you're thinking about your impact when you're thinking about your ESG frameworks and how you want to work gender into your initiatives. There are kind of two two big areas that I'd want you to consider. So the first is how you design your own policies and mm. programs for your employees. Right. So when you think about your family leave policy, mm. um, and that family leave policy is... <laughs> If you're in the U.S., it's six weeks and you think you're doing really well. <laughs> um, but let's say, you know, you're giving a three-month right. um, family leave policy. Well, what we know is that actually going back to work for women three months after giving birth and having to go back to a full-time nine-to-five mm. is really, really difficult. Mm. It makes it really difficult for them to focus. Um, and they're much, much more likely to be, you know, one, a productive employee, but two, a productive human, happy human, if you're able to give them flexibility in Mm. returning to work. Right. Similarly, if your company, and thankfully I think there are fewer of these these days, but if your company is one of these that gives two weeks of paternity leave, Mm. um, how does that impact gender outcomes across your community Mm. um what that does what that says is that your company believes that care and particularly care of the baby should be handled by the female partner in a relationship right right right? um it assumes 
heteronormativity, it assumes very old gender roles, it, it comes loaded with an entire value system that you are telling your employees and your stakeholders that you believe in. Mm. And so when you're designing these policies, it is so incredibly important to think through not only how does this imp- impact one individual employee within my right. within my company, mm. but how does this impact the community overall? What does this say right. about our values, about our beliefs, and how does that make people feel welcome or not welcome mm. into our environment, right? right? Do you have the same kind of policies for parents of adopted children mm. as you do for parents of children who are, um, you know, who are birthed into the world? Right. There's probably a better term for that, but I don't have it on the tip of my yeah. tongue. <laughs> um, right. So that's one area is is really thinking about how are the policies that you're setting, hmm. you know, underscoring um, a more equitable approach to gender hmm. and underscoring the values that you want to make sure that your employees right. see you espousing. Hmm. The second area then is your external impact. Right. So how are you working gender into this ESG framework, um, into your CSR, into your philanthropy, whatever, whatever framework your company is using? Um, And I think it is really, really important in this area to figure out, again, what it is that the community really needs and not just assume that internally you can create a program that really works. And I think actually a really great a company that's doing this really well is Barbie. Um, Right. So I've been on their global advisory Hmm. council twice now. Hmm. And Barbie, I think, traditionally, for those of us who grew up with this doll, was something that you thought of as a plastic doll that had wildly unrealistic proportions. Right. Um, I think you could argue had a role to play in forming some of these unhealthy body image issues that, right. that girls had growing up um, and really just just formed part of the impossible ideal that girls mm. and women were supposed to be striving for. But Barbie over the last decade or so has really been working hard with scientists mm. and with focus groups with girls with families and with gender experts to understand how they can move away from Mm. that and into creating a a product an experience that really works for girls and helps to to push them forward so barbie actually is one of the is the leading backer behind research on what they call the dream gap Mm. which is these studies that show that girls between the ages of five and seven, they no longer articulate their dreams as, you know, I want to be an astronaut one day. Mm. I want to be a um, scientist. Mm. Their dreams between the ages of five and seven actually tend to get smaller. Right. Because what happens is prior to that age, everything is based in imagination. Mm. And they have this belief that they can do anything. They can be anything. And then between the ages of five and seven, they start getting exposure to the outside world Hmm. that tells them that girls, that women have certain jobs that are appropriate for them. And so science has shown that this is a critical, critical age for girls being able to see themselves in bigger, different careers and roles. Hmm. And so Barbie has done, I'll say three things. The first is that they worked on the actual bodies of Barbies. Mm. And so 
six years ago, <laughs> they launched a series of Barbies that had um, a range of skin tones, a right. range of body sizes, a range of fashion styles, hair mm. types, hair colors, um, so that you could find a Barbie that looked like women you knew. Mm. Then what they've done is gone really hard on the careers element. So right. they really pushed a lot of different careers that Barbie can get into. Barbie is now a coder. Barbie is an engineer. Barbie mm. is a lot of really amazing things that you as a girl can can aspire to be. Right. But third, on their on their impact side, they aligned all of this with philanthropy to girls' organizations, mm. along with events, festivals, for girls themselves to come together and celebrate what they can be in the world. Right. And so going back to that that original concept of Ikigai and kind of thinking mm. through how your brand approaches impact, mm. it all aligns. It aligns right. with their product, it aligns mm. with their message, mm. but it also aligns with their community needs. Right. And so, you know, you could maybe say they can go farther on this. What about all of the plastic? Like, I, you know, I think that there are always going to be critiques, mm. but I do think they're an example of a company that's really trying and really right. putting resources, putting money behind not just the philanthropy, hmm. but the research, um, events for girls, the actual changes in product that need to happen right. so that all of these pieces really line up. Hmm. I also, you know, I think it, it takes a brave company, frankly, to go beyond the E in ESG right. because E, the environment is critical for mm. our future right. as a planet but as a company once you figure out how you want to approach your environmental changes mm. it almost becomes an accounting problem right which is great because it means that it's achievable right mm. so we can say we need to reduce our emissions by this much right um great you can mm. kind of figure out what that's going to look like and then you can measure it year over year mm. the s the social it changes with time right and it requires an ongoing dialogue, an ongoing conversation mm. um, with your stakeholders, with your community to ensure that you're getting it right. Right. And so, you know, I, I do applaud companies that want to take on both and that do take on both because right. I think they're really critical. And the S in particular is just so vital because it is about your people mm. and your company runs on your people. Awesome. Uh, that was a very enriching and insightful discussion, especially for me. Uh, loved hearing about all the examples. But let's take a step back just to end the episode. Uh, we spoke a lot about impact. We spoke a lot about gender. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on, and this is the question that we're going to close every episode of this season with. What do you think business will look like 100 years from now, 21, 22? <laughs> The world will be run by women, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. Um, and on that note, we're going to wrap up. All I'd want to say is if you liked what you heard, if you enjoyed listening to Christian talk, we're going to have a lot of other episodes throughout the season on a variety of different topics. And we're going to try to have it as often as possible. Uh, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcast content. And we look forward to bringing you more of these discussions throughout the year. And with that, we'll sign off. Thanks again, Christian. Thanks, Chad.